Thanks, guys. Just a reminder, if you are first through fifth grade, during the summers, since I forgot this last week, uh, during the summers, you get to stay with us in here and see how much fun we have in this place. Um, so welcome first through fifth graders. And uh, this is just an opportunity for our children's workers to have a little bit of a break during the summer. Um, and then uh, we'll move back into children's ministry. I think it's Labor Day time frame. So um, welcome. Well, my name's Scott Jester. I'm on the team here at Grace Gathering. Great to be with all of you here today. And it's officially graduation season, as you guys know. And more importantly, for those of you that are in school, the end of the school year, right? It's about finished. Or, and some of you guys, I think, are finished right now. Um, but uh, I know there's a bunch of open houses today, and I think we have quite a few uh, open houses of students in this place. Um, and so I know a lot of you guys are going to be spending a lot of time at open houses eating today. But be sure to join us, as Brian said, for our time, our luncheon at the pavilion directly after the service. There's nothing wrong with eating multiple meals in a day, right? Well, how many of you in this room love to root for the underdog? How many of you guys would say, I just love to root for the underdog? Yeah. Many of us, personally, I've always been a fan of underdogs. And I think this goes back for me way back to when I was, I was a child. You see, when I grew up, I had pretty intense asthma that caused me to be in the hospital for weeks at a time during the first 10 years of my life. And I actually have vivid memories of being in the hospital with a big tent over my hospital bed and then pumping some sort of medication in there. I don't know if I do even do that anymore. Um, but then as I got a little older, having that mask, and some of you guys, I've, I'm sure, know what I'm talking about, that mask that has this vapor that you breathe. I, I had to carry that around with me quite often um, during the first 10 years of my life. And the doctors expressed um, that it, the, all of the medication um, that I was taking for my asthma could very well uh, stunt my growth. Um, and it actually did uh, for the beginning of my life. And when I was in middle school, remember this vividly, I was the second shortest person in my entire class behind Joanna. I still remember. Like she was shorter than me but I was the second shortest person in my class all, almost all the way through middle school. And then my freshman year, um, I began to grow. Well, you know, I had this strong desire when I was in middle school to be a basketball player. And as you know, it's kind of hard if you're short and small uh, to be a basketball player. But I was convinced that I was going to be a basketball player. So what I did is I thought, well, if I'm not as tall and if I'm not as big in basketball, well, at least maybe I can figure out how to jump. So I convinced my parents to buy me these things. I think this is what they're called. I'm not sure. Moon shoes. You guys know what I'm talking about? Moon shoes? Where the, the shoes where like, you, you wear them and they don't have any heels on them? It's just the front, and the front's about, I don't know, like that thick. And so I convinced them to buy me these moon shoes. I wore them all the time. I mean, every waking hour, I remember during one summer, it was like every waking hour I had these moon shoes on because I was going to jump. I was going to be able to jump. I didn't have height. I was at least going to be able to jump. And so I wore these, and again, my freshman year, I finally grew, 
In my freshman year, I could, I was the, the only person on my basketball team to be able to dunk a basketball. It's true. It's true, I promise you. My, my, my boys will not believe me in that, but it, it, is, it is absolutely true. The problem was that I couldn't shoot. So I decided quickly that um, I probably needed to move to another sport and then started playing soccer from there and then ended up giving up basketball. Um, but I always have, have had this, under, this, this underdog mentality that, that I've got to fight and I've got I've to grind for whatever I get. I've, I've heard it's the second child mentality. Any second children in your family, like you're the second child, yeah. Um, I think it's, I've heard that it's, it kind of fits that. Um, but I think because... Um, that I've always, because of that reason, is the reason why I personally have always been drawn to the underdog and those that society casts aside, those that society gives up on. And I definitely wasn't a strong follower of Jesus when I was younger, but as I've grown in my faith, I've clearly seen that the principle of looking out for the underdog and being inclusive to those others that, that are cast, cast aside are actually kingdom principles. And Jesus taught his disciples this important kingdom principle on many occasions to go after the one everyone else is leaving behind and then invite them into your life. And so today, we're starting a new series called Leave No One Behind. And if you look at Jesus' life on earth, he's always willing to go to great lengths to pursue the last, the least, and the lost with the gospel, and he calls us to follow his example in the same way. He leaves no one behind, and neither should we. And all you have to do is look at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. At the very beginning, he went to his hometown of Nazareth, and scripture says that he pulled out a scroll. It was a scroll of Isaiah. He opened it up, and in essence, he expressed his mission for his ministry and his mission for his life, and it said this. It says, the spirit of the Lord is with me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then as Jesus moved into his ministry and through his ministry, this was fleshed out in his life. And let me just read a couple of examples of this in Luke chapter 18. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke. We're going to kind of be in different places in Luke, but you can turn to the book of, of Luke. Um, and this is the, uh, the passages that we're going to, Luke 15 actually, is the passage that we're really going to focus on here during uh, this series. But we're going to start Luke 18. Just a couple of examples of how Jesus fleshed out this idea of pursuing the least, the last, and the lost. In Luke 18, the religious leaders wanted to leave children behind, but notice Jesus' response in 15 through 17. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them, but Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And the religious leaders wanted to leave those with physical disabilities behind. But notice Jesus' response in verse 35 of that same chapter. It says this, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
Well, those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. And then the religious leaders wanted to leave those who had a lot of sin in their lives behind. But notice Jesus' response back in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. It says this, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with, his, with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so you see the religious leaders of the day had a tendency to push people down and push people out. And Jesus did the exact opposite. He welcomed people and raised them up. In our day, there's no different in, in society and even times at the church can have a tendency to push people down and push people out, either intentionally or unintentionally. The poor, children, elderly, those with physical or mental disabilities, those with racial differences, those with unique gender issues, former criminals, addicts, and so on. Of course, if you're physically attractive or, or rich or have power in some way, you're more than likely welcomed in and lifted up in our society. But this is not how Jesus operated, and this is not how the kingdom of God values and operates. And the church should be following Jesus' example and not the value system of the world, right? You may have heard us make, made a statement, make a statement here at Grace Gathering before, and we've shared this a couple times, but I think it's worth saying more frequently, and I think we have a screen that says this, and this is at Grace Gathering, we desire to be, and we are, a church that welcomes people of all backgrounds, black, white, brown, married, single, divorced, gay, straight, trans, rich, poor, young, old, addicts, recovering addicts, religious, not religious, and everything in between. We believe everyone has brokenness 
and is in need of God's mercy in Christ. That's what we believe. That's who we are here at Grace. And the church can have a tendency to push people out and push people down. And Jesus did the exact opposite. He welcomed people in and raised people up. And so should we. Jesus left no one behind, and we don't want to leave anyone behind as well. And the foundation of this series, as I expressed, is found in Luke chapter 15, where Jesus tells three parables. The first is the parable of the lost sheep, the second, the lost coin, and the third is called the lost son. And what Jesus is doing as he tells all three of these parables is he's teaching his disciples to do the opposite of what the culture does and what the religious leaders were doing, pushing people out and pushing people down, particularly the people in our society that are considered the least, the last, and the lost, and instead welcome people in and raise people up. And the way you do that is you intentionally seek them and go after them not just wait for them to come. You intentionally seek them and go after them and do it one person at a time. So let's move to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read Luke 15 verses 1 through 7, the parable of the lost sheep. And it says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so you can see the, the tension between Jesus and the religious leaders. Some have called this section of Jesus' teaching the gospel of the outcasts. And we have a tendency to write people off, to value them less, to exclude them more. The poor, children, elderly, those with physical or mental disabilities, those with racial differences, those with unique gender issues, former criminals, addicts, And now, obviously, as Jesus was giving this parable, this story here, to illustrate this kingdom principle of leaving no one behind, he used the illustration of sheep, which was a common understanding in the setting that he was in, not so much for us. We don't have quite as much of a perspective on sheep and herding sheep and raising sheep. Therefore, it's it's helpful for us to know what it would have been obvious, what would have been obvious for that audience and for them at that time, that a hundred sheep would have been the average size flock. And it would have been customary to take count of every, every evening of the amount of sheep that you have to make sure that you have all 100 of them. And if there was one missing, finding that one was, that was somehow left behind or wandered off would have required the shepherd to leave the other 99 and go find that one sheep, that lone sheep. And more than likely, that lone sheep would have been frightened or or confused or perhaps injured. And therefore, to bring it back to the fold, the shepherd would need to carry it on his shoulder or on his back. And all to say, 
It took a lot of effort to bring this, long, this lost sheep back to the fold. And the story Jesus tells is, is full of symbolism here and how we can seek others around us and not leave anyone behind who may be open to God. I know I've shared this story before here, I think once before, but we moved up here to North Fort Wayne when our oldest son, Logan, was in the seventh grade. He was in middle school. And certainly to tr- make a transition in middle school from one school to the other is, is really difficult. And I'm sure some of you guys may have experienced that personally. Um, but we were moving and he had moved up here. We had moved up here and he went to middle school. And I remember, I'll never forget the first day that he went to middle school, Maple Creek Middle School, um, seventh grade. And he was super nervous. And I remember praying for him on his way out. Um, and just um, praying that just God would be with him and that, that, uh, that he would find friends and all of those things. He was super nervous. He goes, and he tells us this story afterwards, that he goes to school, and during lunchtime, which certainly is probably the most difficult time, when you're in class, like, eyes aren't on you, but at lunchtime, it's like, okay, like, where do I sit? Like, what does this look like? Um, so he goes to lunch, and he said that he went and he got his, his, his food, and he starts walking back in the lunchroom, and he's like, okay, now what? I've got my tray. Now what do I do? Where am I, where am I going to sit? Uh, where am I going to go? And he thought, I'll probably just find some corner over there um, so that I'm not, you know, super awkward. And so he said that he was, he was heading back to, to find a place to sit by himself when there was some other boys, seventh grade boys, that saw him and saw that he was by himself and, and noticed that they had never seen him before. And what they did is they intentionally got out of their seats and went over, said hi to him, introduced himself to him, and asked him to go sit with them at their lunch table. And so he's telling me this story, like an answer to the prayer that we had. And I, w- I was thinking about that as I was kind of reading it through this. And, and one of those, those boys... I believe this is true, like he told me this, um, is one of those boys was a, a guy named Josh Jackson, um, who is in this room. Um, and Josh and uh, Logan um, from, have remained friends since that time. As a matter of fact, um, some of you guys that are friends with us um, may have seen a post on Facebook of him and my son Logan on a camel in a desert somewhere in Morocco, like a, a month ago or two, two months ago. But they've, re- they've remained friends from that time. But what it took was intentionality for those seventh graders to step up and intentionally pursue um, someone that was, that was lost, that was trying to find his way. And one of the things that I'm really encouraged about here at Grace Gathering North in particular is I believe that our young people, our students, really do lead the way in this. They really do. Um, and they are pursuing the least, the last, and the lost in their school. Um, and they are seeing fruit from it. And I think that it's a, it's a great example for us as adults, that an area that, that we need to be led as adults by our students in this. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive more into this and how we can be intentional with people around us. But the truth that I want us to be reminded here today is that the reason we need to be passionate about leaving no one behind with the people around us is because God did not leave us behind. Amen. 
It's as simple as that. The reason why we don't leave others behind is because God didn't leave us behind. He reached out to you and to me before you ever reached out to him. We see that in Romans 5, 6 through 8 that says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. And I know for me, when I was in high school and at the beginning of college, I was lost. I was not pursuing God and he pursued me. And I could tell multiple stories of what that looked like. I could tell multiple stories of what that, that meant this morning. And of course, God pursues us, but we're always responsible to respond to his love and pursue. But God is always, always the initiator. And if you're in Christ today, it's because God pursued you with his unfailing love. And if you're not yet in Christ today, you have to know that God is pursuing you right now in this place. Romans 2, 4b says this, God's kindness leads us to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance, to change our mind, to change our conscience, to to turn the other direction. It's God's kindness that leads us there. And so as we start this series, I just want to spend some time here just praying and listening and thanking God that he's the initiator, that when we were going astray, he never has and never will leave us behind. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so at the very beginning of this series, we just want to spend some time, and we're just going to give you just a moment here to be able to do that, Um, just to spend some time praying and listening and just thanking God that he's the initiator. We want to do this, this personally. We want to do this individually. And then we're going to take communion together and Brian's going to come up and and lead us into response. And we're going to really celebrate the sacrifice that Christ made and remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us as the initiator, as, as relentlessly pursuing us. But before we do that, let's just close our eyes and let's just spend a moment here just praying and listening and thanking God that he's the initiator, that he relentlessly pursues us. Let's just take a moment here to do that. Yes, Father, I'm just really grateful today that you are a God that that loves us so much that you're willing to speak to us. And God, that you're willing to pursue us. And God, you're willing to relentlessly pursue us to not give up on us. And God, I'm a I'm a story of that. And God, I just, I'm just thankful for that this morning, Lord. And God, I'm thankful that we love and we can love because you first loved us, that you show love, God, that you give love. And it's, it's not a, a love that is um, conditional, Lord, but it's, it's unconditional, it doesn't depend on what we do. It doesn't depend 
on who we are. It depends on who you are. And so we're grateful for that this morning. And God, we're grateful for your unconditional love for us. And God, I pray as we move into this series, God, I pray that you would speak. God, I pray that you would move. Um, God, I pray that you would speak through your word. God, we know that scripture says that, that your word is living and active. God, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword that pierces the hearts of, of those that are the hearers, Lord. And God, I'm just grateful for that today. And God, I pray that you would do just that um, during this series, Lord. And God, that it wouldn't be just words, though, but God, that there would be action that would come from that. God, that we would not just hear from you, but God, that we would be willing to step out in boldness to what you want to do and how you want to move and work in us, Lord. And so, God, we just thank you right now for who you are, and God, just for your love and for your grace for us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen.